Hello everybody and thank you for joining me for this episode of The Daily Optimist. Today is Wednesday, it is the 27th of January, and it is a no longer snowy day here in the northeast where I am from. It is uh, still cold though. Alright, so today I want to talk to you about uh, a couple of different stories. I'm going to talk some about COVID. Uh, just briefly what some European countries are doing with uh, mask wearing. And then I'm going to talk to you about um, a recent study that was done by uh, Boston University. I'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, so today, as we you know, are still dealing with, with COVID and we have a new president here in the U.S. And I talked to you yesterday about remembering that things are going to take a, a minute uh, before, you know, legislation actually takes place. But, uh, some of the executive orders that have gone through have been very important. You know, the transgender military, uh, yesterday was, um, you know, stop of, uh, stop the DOJ from using private prisons, which is, uh, a pretty terrible thing when you think about it. Private prisons are where people make money off of the prisoners. It's a pretty horrible horrible thing so obviously they want to make more money so they find reasons to put people in prison so they can make money off of them so uh, President Biden is looking to get rid of that we have uh, more members of the cabinet the first uh, woman um, uh, security no uh, Treasury Department that's I can't remember the exact title Secretary of the Treasury there it is not security uh, Janet Yellen was um, sworn in by the first woman vice president the other day, and Kamala Harris. So those are some changes that are happening. More and more people are getting sworn in daily, and uh, it is uh, hopefully sign of positive things to continue coming for the U.S. and hopefully the world in general. All right. Well, now that I've stumbled through that, I'm going to get to the stories in just a moment. I appreciate you all joining me. My name, of course, is Elijah Manning, and you are listening to The Daily Optimist. All right, my first piece today is from the uh, European countries that are looking to make medical-grade masks uh, requirements for uh, specifically public spaces. So um, I'm reading a story from NPR about it, and it's Germany, the federal and state governments, uh, they brought up measures to, to say, medical masks um, or surgical masks. KN95 or FFP2 masks, those are mandatory in stores and on public transit. Um, FFP2 is a, um, mask that is similar to N95 or KN95, and it's just the European standard. So if you're wondering what that means, uh, so because of the new, uh, variants in the, the coronavirus, they're trying to set up more precautions for everybody to, to take and, um, you know, here in the U.S., the CDC is saying double masking is probably going to be the most effective, um, or at least um, making sure that it, you're, if you're having a cloth mask, it's uh, a double-lined cloth mask. 
Um, but, you know, the, the medical grade ones are supposed to be more effective. Uh, so that's what Europe is looking to do. Uh, Germany um, is trying to do that specifically. Um, the German Chancellor Ang Angela Merkel said, we must take the danger posed by this variant very, very seriously. And we must slow the spread of this variant as far as possible. Um, so Austria did the same thing, requiring FFP2 masks or the, the equivalent, if you will. And uh, for transit, carpooling, and businesses open to the public, uh, indoor and outdoor markets as well, uh, they're going to, Austria is going to distribute 1.2 million uh, masks for free. And then some large supermarket chains, it looks like, are going to hand them out as well within the first few days of the new rule. Uh, France's High Council for the Public Health announced that they are going to be recommending the same. Uh, there is a bit of a discrepancy from France's National Academy of Medicine. They're wondering if this is going to uh, put some kind of... Um, strain isn't the right word, but... Um, idea that maybe what they're being told is not always correct if we keep going back and forth. So, you know, they're, they're, they wrote, uh, s such a change in the recommendations concerning a practice with which the entire population managed to become familiar, risk creating misunderstanding and reviving doubts about the validity of the official recommendations. And I understand that because in, in the U.S., for instance, there's a constant battle of, of, you know, like now we, the CDC recommends this or the CDC recommends this instead. And it becomes challenging. So people argue and say, well, it, you know, it keeps changing. So what what is the correct way? And I don't think anybody has found the correct way. And that's part of the problem. So for people to take a greater stance with the N95 masks, uh, okay, perhaps that'll be better. I don't know. Um, time will tell on that. Wearing a mask still seems to be um, a, a better way than not wearing a mask. So wearing a better filter mask seems like it could be potentially greater. But uh, I don't know. I don't study it. So I just wanted to talk about that. And uh, as we still have, you know, like the Netherlands over these lockdown rules, perhaps these new mask ideas will will help um, be have places open up again. I don't know. I can't say for certain, but uh, just something to be aware of that's happening out there in Europe right at the moment. All right. My uh, second story is from Boston University, and uh, it is initiative on cities where they do surveys um, all the time into like, well, obviously the initiative on cities and what the cities need, what they're thinking. And they talk to uh, they survey mayors. And for this one, it was around policing and protests. And um, it is, I really recommend everybody going in and reading this as much as possible. Uh, I know it's a bit, it's a bit much. It's, you know, 13 pages, but uh, I think it is worth it um, to have an in-depth look at what these mayors uh, think um, in these cities. So, um, you know, they... They go to uh, 130 different cities um, uh, that are surveyed and, uh, you know, all over the country in the Midwest, Northeast, South and West and um, from all demographics, you know, Democrat, Republican, other male, female, 
Um, you can go in and see the figures of, of how it is white versus black versus Latino versus Asian versus other, and then what their professional background is and their highest degree. Um, you know, it doesn't give names of the mayors or some of the cities. As you read, you, you can read into um, some of the comments they made and things like that, or you can find the article that talks about it and, and will mention things. But um, some of the the graphs that you can look at are um, treatment by police, for, for one. How, equi how equitable is treatment by police for white people compared with the black people in your city? And it's either much better for white people, somewhat better for white people, equal, somewhat better for black people, much better for black people. So 32% said it's equal. 52% said it's somewhat better for white people, with 16% saying it's much better for white people. Nobody said it was somewhat better or much better for black people. So that alone shows that um, most of them agree that is a, a greater majority, 68% agree that police treat white people better than black people. 73% um, of Republican mayors believe that police treat white people and black people equally, compared with 14% uh, of Democrats. Uh, mayors in both parties agree, though, that black people are not treated better by the police in any city. So I'm reading directly from the report. Um, and it goes into trust in police and how, you know, the question is, do you agree or disagree? Black residents in my city trust the police. It is all over the board. 44% um, of mayors believe that black residents distrust the police. All right. Some mayors believe that they could not characterize black views monolithically. Uh, so it's it's an interesting thing to look through to see. Uh, that goes into the protests. Please rate how strongly you agree or disagree with the following statement. Street protests against police violence in 2020 did more harm than good in my city. Um, most people, most mayors disagreed with that at 44%. And then um, some strongly disagreed at 25%. So so 69% total saw these as positive forces of change in their communities. In line with national partisan views on protesting, Republican mayors were 31 percentage more uh, likely to see protests as harmful. Interesting disparity. Um, there's a, another figure about if there were recent protests in your city, how would you characterize your role during that time? We, uh, participant, communicator slash listener, support both sides, support protesters behind the scenes, support police officers' uh, efforts, rather. Not involved, no protests. 32% um, classified themselves as protest participants. So, interesting. 15% uh, describe themselves as supportive, but um, in, in a more behind-the-scenes role. 34% of the mayors saw their role as supporting and communicating with their police and protesters, with 18% highlight, highlighting their jobs as communicators and listeners, and 16% emphasizing their support for both sides. So there's um, then you go into police reform, police violence in the city, if police violence has been a problem in your city, how much do you, each of the following contribute to it? Is it lack of racial diversity on the police force, police unions, qualified immunity, police officers, racism on the police force, leadership? It really breaks this down. And overall, uh, then it goes police recruitment in the city. Do you agree? You know, has it done a good job of recruiting well-suited individuals? Um, 
police department budget. Do you agree with the budget last year? Most of them, mostly everybody agreed that it was about right. And then, um, and then it gets to reallocation of resources and responsibilities and how do they feel about it. All right. And that's where it gets interesting because there's a 5% that say, yes, I would support relocating many resources and responsibilities. 28% say, yes, I would support reallocating some resources and responsibilities. 23% say, maybe I might support it. 29% say no, and 16% say other. So it's pretty all over the place on who is going to, who would support it, who wouldn't, and how that would happen. Um, it's interesting that, you know, majority say that yes or maybe they would 29% say no they won't and I don't know what the other answer is and I'd like to know what that other answer is and uh, I didn't see it but perhaps I'll read it again and I'll find that information but again this whole all goes to you know what the Black Lives Matter protests were about and how it's not just about defunding the police it's reallocating some money so you take from the police and don't have them have all the responsibility of answering all these distress calls. And we've seen it work in some places in Denver, Colorado, and, and um, I believe Portland, Oregon has it as well, and some other places around the country that have used healthcare professionals, mental health workers, and things to respond to calls as well. So interesting, uh, like I said, I recommend going in to, to look at these graphs, check out the article, check out the re report by Boston University. All right. I'll be back in just a moment and we'll switch to some positivity for the day. The first positive news story comes from um, the pharmaceutical company Eli Lilly. And there is a new Alzheimer's drug they have called, and I'm going to butcher this name, I have not heard it pronounced, it's Donanemab. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. But they're in phase two uh, clinical human trials. So I'm getting this from the Good News Network. And so what it does is um, it talks about what Alzheimer's is and how it's a buildup of protein called plaques. And there's one specifically called beta amyloid. And it's the biggest, um, biggest problem for um, uh, Alzheimer's patients, if you will. It's that buildup. Um, so this um, new drug is supposed to be an antibody that um, in the trial 272 patients with um, mid-Alzheimer's, mid-stage Alzheimer's, it reduced 32% over 18 months by, by going after that uh, beta amyloid known as N3PG. All right. So um, they looked at cognition, better brain function, and those were found to uh, be positive. There were some others that didn't have any improvement, but it's a good start at least. So, um, you know, it's, it's, they're able to test this. And even though there's a 27% of patients that had a brain swelling side effect, why they're really able to test this is because Alzheimer's has no cure and it is fatal. So the FDA is a little more lenient on regulations because they are looking for some kind of alleviation to this. Um, so they're doing this as safely as possible, 
but you know obviously the side effects are are maybe a little more in this case than they are in some others as they're doing this um there's going to be a second trial with 500 participants and they're they're hoping that they can you know have this happen again so as we don't yet have a, a full cure for alzheimer's or anything like that the um, mark minton he is a medical doctor and vice president of pain and neurodegeneration with the Eli Lilly and company. He said, we are extremely pleased about these positive findings for the uh, drug donanamab as a potential therapy for people living with Alzheimer's disease, the only leading cause of death without a treatment that slows disease progression. All right. So again, you know, he's, um, they're positive on this, that it's having some kind of positive effect. So, my second story comes from New York City, and there is a, a um, whoops, pardon that noise, sorry about that, I just kicked something. There is a lady who uh, is cleans apartments, okay, and she has been working during uh, pandemic times. She was even furloughed, but still went to work anyway, um, because she needed a job she wanted a job and she liked i guess doing it i don't there's not enough information just the fact that she was doing it nonetheless uh she's been living with her sister as well because it's been hard times so uh what happened is the people in her building all got together and they gifted her the penthouse apartment so it's a four bedroom three bathroom penthouse all right so they, they all pitched in for a two-year lease. Well, I don't know of all of them, but I know that it says the residents pitched in for a two-year lease. And um, <clears throat> I'm getting this from sunnyskies.com. The people that live here, this is a real estate who, in the video, he says, the real estate agent, rather, he says, the people that live here have been telling me a lot about your contributions to this building, and a lot of people here in this building are a big fan of yours. He says, you're kind of a celebrity here. You're very well loved. And I know it's been a tough year for you and your family. And there's been a lot of financial hardships. I have a contract here for a two-year lease on this unit that some of your fans knocked it together. They're taking care of it all. All you have to do is sign and take the keys. And you can watch the video of how, you know, the emotion overwhelms her. They give her a tour of the place first. And she thinks she's just there to clean it. But um, she's actually there to sign the contract. So she has a lot of emotion about it. And I certainly hope that um it's probably a really expensive place i don't know what she makes as a cleaning lady and i don't know uh what you know she's going to be able to afford but i hope that even during this time she can live in this penthouse save up money and have you know and move to a better place for herself and her family and in the meantime or you know i don't know if she's single or whatever but maybe she can have her family move in there with her and then they can all kind of save up money and find another place after the two years is up. Or they can all kind of move in there and maybe they'll be able to afford the rent afterwards. I don't know her financial situation other than I know that she's had a burden. But I hope this works out for her for the next two years. And I hope she's able to make some positive strides in everything she does. And thank you to those people who uh, gift gifted her that apartment. All right. So today, where positive step is going to be about confidence. All right, confidence is sometimes that's very easily torn apart and not so easily to gain. And how do you gain confidence? You just have to 
stop worrying about what other people say and that's so much easier said than done i know i know it is but um it is starting to believe in yourself finding the finding clothes that fit for you finding a hairstyle that you like finding you know glasses that you you like um finding a job that that suits you well uh, just little things and big things can help boost your confidence, you know, maybe finishing something that you were never sure you could finish before or trying something new, you know, maybe it's exercising, maybe it's, you know, you wanted to get better at bowling and, you know, you, you never had the confidence to and then you started practicing and you got better at it, you know, so it's just about working hard to change things, um, but keep Keep moving in that positive direction to just add a little bit more confidence in yourself each day. I know, again, easier said than done, but yeah, it's all it's all a struggle. Well, you just got to keep trying. And that will lead me to the quote of the day from Ellen Goodman, and she is a, a journalist and a syndicated columnist, and she's won a P- P- Pulitzer Prize. Almost made that into a tongue twister when it didn't need to be. All right, so Ellen Goodman's quote goes like this. The things we hate about ourselves aren't more real than the things we like about ourselves. Once again, the things we hate about ourselves aren't more real than things we like about ourselves. All right, so that's how you build confidence, all right? We know there's things that we hate about ourselves, but there's also things we like about ourselves. And why do we give more weight to the things we dislike? We don't need to. Time to give more weight to the things we do like about ourselves, okay? That'll help boost your confidence. Give more weight to them. Let them be important. Well, first, match the importance and then try to boost that up, all right? It doesn't mean to to forget that there are things that you don't like about yourself. You know, it means there's always things we can work on. But boost up those positive things about yourself. All right, you got this. I know you do. Thank you very much for making it through this episode of The Daily Optimist. I appreciate each and every one of you. I hope you all enjoyed. If you get a chance, check out that um, report from Boston University. See if you can find that, uh, that video of the cleaning lady being gifted the apartment. Both of those are valuable pieces of information. All right. Okay, everybody. I look forward to tomorrow. Until then, everybody, please rate, subscribe, and share. Oh, I thought I was going to be out. Oh, rate so that other people can find it. Subscribe so you never miss it. And share with anybody who needs a little positivity and optimism in their day. All right, now I'm out. Thank you very much, everybody. Until next time, please be well.